Is that fun? Sometimes we just do fun stuff around here. We just heard that song, really liked it, thought it'd be fun. You know, it's okay to have fun in church. I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah, okay, I just want to check, make sure. Hey, listen, we're going to give back to God in a moment. That's fun. Because we have something to give, right? Because God's been good to us. That's why we give back. If you're a guest, don't worry about that. Hey, <coughs> excuse me, while we're doing that, here's what I want you to do, because I want you to know I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad to be here with you. I want you to turn to somebody and tell them they look great today. Now, wow, did I lose you? There we go. All right. Hey, uh, so uh, that felt good, didn't it? Even if you thought they were lying, it still felt good. So now here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn back to that same person and say, "Um, here's why you look good today. Tell them. It's nice to be complimented, isn't it? It feels good, doesn't it? Today I'm going to talk about us learning to compliment, but not each other, but God. You say, well, God doesn't need a compliment. You're right. He doesn't, but you need to compliment God. We're going to talk about something today I think is really important and powerful. Uh, before we get started, I kind of want, <coughs> or as we get started, I kind of want to talk about something. There was a wedding this week. And, uh, and uh, you know, at weddings, uh, you know, everybody's dressed up, looks great. Bride was beautiful, incredibly beautiful. And, and there's that, that uh, long walk, all the family, friends, and all the guests are there. And that long walk down the aisle there. And, and I was watching, and as, I, as the bride got to the end of the aisle, there was this cute little kind of simple um, wooden uh, uh, kind of uh, kind of archway, but it wasn't round. It had flowers on it, just just a few. And uh, and I was as I was watching uh, out of my window on Thursday afternoon at the wedding happening out in the courtyard. I found out that uh, the wedding was actually uh, a couple of young people uh, who don't attend our church, but actually one of our um, facilities guys is a pastor of a Spanish-speaking church in L.A. And they had asked if they could use our courtyard for their wedding. And it was really cool. And, and, the, and the bride was beautiful. And everybody was dressed up. It was really neat. And I had no idea what was happening. I just looked out and saw a wedding. So, hey, there's a wedding on the patio. And, uh, and, uh, and here's, it reminded me of something. So I used to do a lot of weddings uh, until I messed up a couple. And they don't ask me anymore. But um, actually, when we first got started, that's how we started the church. I'd, I'd tell I'd marry him. But, but first, he had to come to church three weeks. <laughs> I thought I got three weeks to get him. But anyway, so... Uh, uh, but I've done a lot of weddings. I mean, I've done a lot, a lot. I don't do much anymore, but I've, I've done a lot, in, and, uh, and I've done a lot of wedding rehearsals. I've been in charge of a lot of, a lot of and there's a piece of uh, information everybody needs to know at a wedding. Now, guys, you may not know this, but every woman in the place knows this, and I'm not trying to be sexist. I'm just being honest. So um, here's the deal. As you're at a wedding, where are you supposed to be looking at all times? Do you hear all those women? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Not a single guy went, the bride. No, it's, 
It's the women. It's the bride. So I would always tell people at the, at the wedding, whether it's the bridesmaids or the groomsmen, that everybody faces, if the bride hasn't come in yet, you're facing that way. When she comes in, you face this way. When you step up on the altar, you guys face this way. Because wherever the because the wedding is her day. It's about the bride. Now, I've had a few mothers of the bride who didn't realize that. And I've had to straighten that out. But, uh, and I'm happy to do that. Uh, and I've had a few bridesmaids who thought it was about them. I had to straighten that out as well. But it's about the bride. Now, here's what's interesting. If you go to a wedding and you don't know that, you don't know how to do a wedding right, okay? You can kind of follow everybody, but you're not sure why they're doing what they're doing. We have the same problem in life because we don't know where our eyes are supposed to be. If the eyes are supposed to be on the bride at all times in a wedding, where are our eyes supposed to be in life? Our eyes are always supposed to be on Jesus in life. Wherever Jesus is, wherever he's going, wherever he's leading us, that's where our eyes are supposed to be. And how do we do that? So, yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice theory. It's a nice thing to say. But how do we actually do that? How do we actually live that out? And I want to talk about that today because I think that's a really important um, aspect. So, so trying to live a Christian life without the right tools, without the right understanding uh, is really hard. And the first understanding is to understand how to keep your eyes on Jesus. And, and it's how to keep the main thing the main thing, how to keep the central thing the central thing. It's all those things. So I, I realized that after doing this wedding analogy that the guys are not with me. So guys, I'm going to take a women pardons for a moment. I'm going to take a minute, for the, a minute for the guys to catch you guys up, all right? So you know when you go to a steakhouse and you order a filet mignon and it's got bacon around it? Right, guys? Right? Okay. So house, and then you get the other things like the mashed potatoes and green beans, whatever it might be, right? Okay. Now, guys, the central thing is what? It's the filet mignon, is it not? It is. The, are you guys getting hungry? Because I'm pretty hungry right now. That is the central thing. How silly it would be to think that the main point of that is the bacon. You see, the bacon is just added goodness, okay? It's just added. The vegans in the room are just like, go. It's your problem. They're delicious. And how silly it would be to think that this meal is about the bacon or about the other things which are called sides for a reason because they're not the main thing. And I want to suggest that we spend a lot of our times looking at the wrong things, focusing on the sides, and we're missing the main thing. So if you were to set out to figure out what the main thing in life is, I would have to suggest that you look at Scripture to help guide that. In the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, they set out to actually identify what the main thing in life is and listen to what they came up with. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The point of us being here, the filet mignon, the thing we're to keep our eyes on, Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, the Bible says we seek first the kingdom and, and, and his righteousness. All the other stuff, all the sides, everything else will be added unto you. It'll get taken care of. If you get this thing right, this center thing right, if you get the right thing in the middle and you keep your eyes on the right thing, everything else will work out. The minute you start focusing on something else as if it's the main thing, you start losing and so this says that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy. Now, I don't know how many religions get um, kind of defined that way, but that's the definition of what we're to do. We're to glorify God. 
We're to acknowledge who God is, God's greatness, and we're to enjoy being in his presence. That's it. You get that, everything else is going to fall into place. Doesn't mean you don't have to show up for work. Doesn't mean you have to work hard. It just means you get that right. Everything else has the possibility of working. Glorify God, not work hard for God, not do good things to earn his favor, not try to impress him. Glorify God. Just acknowledge who God is and enjoy his presence. It's called worship. And here is what I want to suggest to you. I've been thinking about this a while. I've been thinking about Christians really struggling and struggles in my own life. And, and I realized that we so often allow ourselves to get so focused on other things that we don't know how to deal with life because we haven't done the most important thing, which is just worship. Just glorify God. Just worship God and enjoy being with him. How many of you can describe your relationship with God as one in which you enjoy being with God? More often than not, we tend to kind of slip into it's a duty, it's a have to, and yet we are, and when we do that, when we glorify God, when we enjoy God's presence, everything else begins to fall in place. I'm not saying it's easy, I'm not saying we don't have challenges, I'm just saying we handle them differently and better. So let me read a passage for you, Romans 11, 35 and 36, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? What have you done for God? And what, is, what, what, do you, what does God owe you? Nothing. But listen to this. For from him and through him and for him are all things. I love that. From him, through him, and for him are all things. That relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the most important thing. It must be central in our lives. We must worship. We must enjoy God. And then we deal with everything else having done that. How do we learn to do that? We learn through praising our, our creator. The way we learn it is through praise. You see, praise isn't something where you have to have some kind of, haven't had a study or you have to have a degree in praise. Praise is something you can, some people are good at praising. Like you walk in, hey, I love that shirt. Other people do, do it. I feel like they're just manipulating me, right? <laughs> hey, you look great, dad. Uh, you got a buck I can borrow, right? That kind of thing. Some people are much better, but we can all praise. We can all look at somebody and say, you look great today because you just did it. So we're all capable of praise. But now let's make it genuine. Let's, let's make the object of our praise the most important, which is God. Let me read a passage for you. Because in order to sustain our lives, being who we're supposed to be, we need to praise God. Um, Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now, lots of people want to get, get stuck on the first part, which I, we can have a conversation if you want. For you created all things, and by your will they were created. How did the creation happen? How did it get started? I think it's hard to believe anything other than God intervened in nothingness and made something happen. How it went from there, we can argue about. But here's the part that I want to focus on today and have their being. Think about what that means. Have their being. Not only are you a created, but having your being in God. In other words, I'm not only created by him, but I am sustained by God. What am I sustained by God? I'm sustained by a relationship, by not only his grace and his goodness and his forgiveness and his provision, but as I abide, scripture uses the word abide, as I abide in him, as I am in this glorifying, enjoying relationship with God, I am sustained. We have our being. In other words, without worship, 
We become something less than what God created us to be. Something that we're trying to make work for ourselves. But as we live in a worship, in, in, in a worship-rich environment, I thought of that phrase this week. I thought that was a great phrase. How would our lives be if we lived in a worship-rich environment? And then I realized, we do. Everywhere you go, you're encouraged to worship something. Every commercial is trying to get you to worship something. Every commercial is trying to tell you that if you just had this thing, your life would be everything it's supposed to be. Every television show says if you just had that kind of relationship or you have that kind of power or you have, you have this or you had, if you had, it's about worship. Those are side things. It's great to have great relationship. It's great to make a good salary. It's great to have a nice car, but those are side dishes. We cannot worship the created. If the most important thing in your life is something that God created, you're missing the point. We're not to worship the created. We're supposed to worship the creator and everything else will fall in its right place. We live in a very worship-rich environment. We're just not very intentional and aware of what we're worshiping in a given moment. So I had to restate my phrase, which is, if only we lived in a rich God-worshiping environment. If we would choose to make our life rich in worship of God, we would be sustained, we would have our being in a much more powerful way. Does that make sense? So we begin with praise. And with this idea of praise, we, we praise God for all kinds of things. Just Praise is just get, uh, attributing to God who he is. He doesn't need to hear it from you. You need to say it. And so we begin by praising God. We praise God for, for just his position, just this incredible the fact that God is God and I am not. I was listening to a podcast this week and it was an atheist and he was espousing, very well-educated, espousing that you've got to live your life for yourself. All this silliness about sacrifice and caring for others is a waste of time. And I, and I, I didn't feel angry, maybe younger in my faith I would have. I, I felt sad. So I'm thinking, who would marry this guy where he espouses you live your life for yourself? What kind of kids would this guy have? What kind of end of life is this guy going to have? Because he's wrong. He's wrong theologically, but he's wrong practically. You don't live your life for yourself. That's what's wrong with the world. There's a dictator in North Korea living his life for himself, so he can hang on to power. How's that working out for the world? How's that going to work out for him for that matter? It's just wrong. But in worship, we praise God for being God. And I'm not God. And that's a good thing. I think we can all agree, don't you think? <laughs> we praise God for being God. We praise God for his person. I was, this is an interesting one. Uh, sometimes we have a hard time praising God. So I've, I've told you many times that I start my prayers with God, you are, instead of God, I am, or I feel, or I want which is my natural tendency, right? God, you are. But you know what's so interesting? Right now, I want you just in your mind, just right now, I want you to think of the five things you would say after that. God, you are. I want you to think of five attributes of God right now. You don't have to say them out loud, just think of them. Five, go. How many start with God is great, God is good? <laughs> no, okay. Here's what's interesting. As we praise God, if we're gonna learn to be praisers, we need to move beyond the obvious. Yes, God, you're great. You're good, you're powerful, you're loving. 
Here's what it forces us to do. If we are going to grow in our ability to praise, which means that we will grow, and I'll explain that in a moment, we must study God to understand him. So if I say to my wife on a regular basis, hey, hon, love you. You are beautiful. She will like that the first time. She might like it the second time. Third time, she's going to start thinking I'm a little lazy. Fourth time, she's not even going to hear me. And fifth time, she's going to be disgusted because I'm too lazy to come up with something new. Right? Because, uh, yeah, you're kind of, what's the least I can do? Right? That doesn't really build great relationships. In my relationship with her, I, and I, it's really, really fun because as I pray and I thank God for my family and for you guys, I, I, uh, forced myself to, because it's silly to write the same thing three days in a row, right? As I write out my prayers. And so I began to look deeper and I have been able to articulate things about my wife, my kids, about you as a congregation that I am so thankful for that I would never even have acknowledged had I not searched to understand why I felt so strongly about you or about her, or about them. Or I, I identified attributes about each of those that I wouldn't have identified otherwise. Here's what happened. As we learn to be praisers of God, and we don't just say the same thing, really, God is great, God is good and it becomes rote memorization or whatever. As we daily in our prayer time with God find new things to thank God for and we ask God to help us know new things about him as he is infinite, we will never run out of new things to say about God. And as we do that, we're learning about God. And as we are learning about God, we are changing because we're realizing what God wants us to be and what is available to us in our relationship with him. And so praise changes us because we're learning, we're growing, we're becoming. In those times, we may thank God for his power, his healing power, and God may bring healing to us. In those times, we remember that God is never anxious and he may bring hope to us. Acknowledging who God is always affects us. That's not why we do it. We do it because that's what we're made to do. And yet there's a wonderful byproduct there. We praise God for his power. We praise God for his presence being with us. So there was another wedding this week I heard in another city across somewhere. And evidently it involved people with hats. That's all I know. Um, and in this other wedding, there were some royals involved, evidently. And... Um, I just wanted to think for a moment, if, if you had been invited to that wedding, which I was not, um, and I'm grateful for, because my wife would have made me go. Um, if you were invited to that, I want to I kind of point out some things. If you had been one of the people invited to that, I, I know some things about you. I know that you would have dressed in your very best. Ladies, you would have been wearing some goofy hat you've never worn before. Um, and you would have arrived on time, and you would have been very attentive to everything happening because you didn't want to miss a single thing. And if at some point one of the royals stopped to have a conversation with you, I know that your posture would change. We're from America. We don't even believe in the, in the queen and, and have a queen. We don't believe in the whole thing, and yet I guarantee your posture would have changed just because of who they are. And yet we um, come to a church service completely unaware of who we're meeting with. This got a little ugly last night. I'm going to try to soften it for you guys a little bit. But I was convicted about this recently. That we come here to meet with Almighty God. And we do it so casually. 
we're completely unaware of our posture. But if you study church liturgy over the, over the centuries, you'll find we have basically two positions. Like if you meet the royalty, I don't know what you do. I don't, I don't know, but you, you would do something. I've met famous people. I always do something. I do something stupid usually, but I do something different. Um, but we come into God's presence. We're not even aware of our, of our posture. But posture meant something historically in worship. Standing up means that we, we don't deserve to be in God's presence because what Christ has done, we can come, according to Scripture, boldly before the throne to request of God what our deepest needs are because of what Jesus has done. I grew up in a church. By the way, in this church, we have stand up and sit down. Those are our two spots. And clap or not clap. That's about it, right? I grew up in a church where we would kneel sometimes at prayer. A posture of kneeling in worship is, God, I am humble. I am broken. I know I don't deserve your love. And frankly, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not worthy. There are even some churches that practice laying before God. I never did that. I was afraid to go to sleep. But, but as we come into worship, we not, need to be aware, not of just our physical posture, but our, our attitude. And we come into worship with Almighty God, acknowledging we don't deserve to be in his presence. We spend less time evaluating the band and more time saying, God, I am so grateful that you let me be here. You see, at the end of a church service, the evaluation is not was the sermon good or bad. At this church, we know it's always good, but some churches don't have that. At the end of the service, the evaluation is not, not was the service good or bad, was the music good or bad. It, it is, did I glorify God and enjoy him? And did he enjoy me? That's the evaluation. And so we live in a consumer mindset. So what am I going to get out of this? The real question is, what are you going to give? What did you come here to give today? Praise? Thanksgiving? You'll get some great byproducts, I guarantee you. Peace, joy, love, all kinds of cool stuff. But the real issue in my relationship with God is it's not I'm here to get, it's I'm here to give, and he'll take care of whatever I need. That's the real essence of Scripture. And that's why we praise. Praise is powerful. It does amazing things. But first, it is about God. And that may be the most amazing thing is it helps us to make it about God first. What if Jesus showed up today physically? What if Jesus showed up today, sat in the front row? He'd be by himself, first of all. <laughs> I've been known to do just dumb stuff when I meet famous people. I once asked Morgan Freeman what his name was. Like, I don't know who Morgan Freeman is. And what's your name? My wife's behind me going, Doyle, you saw all the God movies. You know who he is. <laughs> I, I, I just do weird stuff with famous people. I, I once called my friend who really admired this person, handed the phone to him, asked him to talk to my friend. Really? What a dork. I'm pretty sure if Jesus was sitting there, I, 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 I you want to uh, hear you? Well, you don't need this, but you, we, I'll just uh, I would act very different. I hope, though, that at some point I would find my voice and my intellect on some level and begin to tell him how much I love him. How thankful I am that he took a snot-nosed, self-destructive kid and changed his life and gave him a purpose and a reason I would hope at some point I would be able to say that I don't deserve anything that he's given me. See, 
that's, that's what worship is, isn't it? Understanding how much he's done and expressing it and owning it and putting the sides aside and getting the main thing to be the main thing again, isn't it? You see, there's an interesting thing. The Jews were people of the event, and the event for the Jews was the Passover, when God saved them through the exodus out of slavery in Egypt. And they, you know what they do about that event? They have an event to celebrate the event, to remember, because it centers them as a people. It reminds them who they are and who God is. You know, we have an event. It's called the Christ event. It was his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the Christ event changed everything. And we have an event to celebrate that event. We have it every week. We have this event every week so we can celebrate that event. And when we stop celebrating this event, we soon forget that event and we lose what is central to our lives. So I want to share something that's been in my heart and, it's, and, and you just got to hear my heart. And if you're offended, you're not hearing my heart probably, but I think that so many believers are struggling with their faith because they don't take this event that celebrates the event very serious. I just have to be honest. Most of the greatest moments of my life were in a worship experience in a place where I was humble before God. I was honestly praising and thanking him and completely open to his direction in my life. It is those times that get my life on track. I've often joked that I was called to ministry so I show up at church. I now believe that to be absolutely true because me being here being in this place with you people honoring my God, our God, is what my life is about and it must be about. And I need at least a weekly reminder and a daily reminder of that. I read some disturbing statistics in the last couple of weeks. One is that um, over the last three generations, so my, my parents' generation, my generation, and my children's generation, Church attendance in my parents' generation for Christians, not the population as a whole, for Christians, averaged three times a month in my parents' generation. In my generation, it dropped to two times per month. And in my children's generation, the average Christian attends church once a month. And we're wondering why we're struggling in our marriages. We're wondering why our kids are going off the rails. Yeah, but we're busy. It's a sophisticated world. Yeah, but the main thing is still the main thing, is it not? Are we not Christians, Christ followers? Are we not the people who follow Jesus, who keep our eyes on Jesus? And by the way, in case you think I'm making this up, in Scripture they had the same problem. Forsake not the assembling of yourself together, as some are in the habit of doing. You see, coming together to worship God is a powerful, meaningful, a part of our experience, an essential part of our experience. I have to be honest with you, I have very mixed feelings about us being, being online. I'm glad that as our, our congregation travels and, and, and they're away from home, they can get a little piece of home. I love that. But I'm worried that there's somebody six blocks from here in their pajamas watching this, thinking they're getting the same experience we are. Wherever you are, you're not. 
you're not. There is something dynamic about us being together and worshiping. You okay so far? Because now it gets rough. I have to be honest. Christianity and even given society or culture is one generation away from extinction. If we stop worshiping and we stop sharing our faith, it means we don't care about the future of our culture, our families, whatever. And it begins with worship. And as we worship, then we're willing to share what happens in our worship experience. But it starts with worship. So you're saying, well, that, that's nice. Guilt us, why don't you? Well, how about if I motivate you in a different way? I just this week read a Harvard study, not a religious study, a Harvard study that said evangelicals who attend church on a regular basis, not meaning once a month, meaning weekly, have half as much chance of getting divorced as those who don't. Half, it's 47%, so I'll be specific. If you attend church on a regular basis, your marriage, you have 47% less chance of divorce. Just in a pure monetary value, it's worth going to church. <laughs> the number one destroyer of personal wealth is divorce. I'm saving you money. Get your hiney over here. There's a sad conversation that happens on our staff and it's happened hundreds of times and it happened again this week to me. I said to somebody, one of our staff members, I said, hey, have you seen so-and-so lately? No, I don't, they haven't been here. No, have you reached out to me? Yeah, I reached out to them, but they didn't really respond. Oh, well, are they going somewhere else? I don't, I don't think so. And then we both just give that look, that knowing look. See, I've been doing this a long time. And that look is about the fact that when the central thing is no longer the central thing, nothing else is guaranteed to work. I just told you, 47% better. Do you want to hear the scarier part of this, that, that study? Nominal evangelical Christians, meaning evangelical Christians who only attend occasionally, have a higher than population at large rate of divorce. Because the Bible says that a man who is unstable or a woman who, who excuse me, uh, a man or a woman uh, who, who, what is the passage? A man or woman who um, is double-minded is the word. A man or woman who are double-minded are unstable in all their ways. If you can't get the central thing to central thing, you can't get the other part right either. Or at least the chances are lower. I'm sure God called me to be a pastor so I'd be at church because I need to be here every week. And I am. Even when I go on vacation, I tell you this all the time, but I want you to know it. I go to church. I, I was in Italy a few weeks ago. I went to a church. I don't even agree with all their beliefs. I didn't understand a word they said, but I was in church because me being in God's house means God's the most important thing in my life. And I needed to affirm that again that week. One of the most moving services I ever went to was 1990 in Saigon. Vietnam, a communist country, in a Catholic church, speaking a language I don't even understand, filled with young people who were seeking something more than communism. I didn't understand a word, but I understood the spirit. I understood the tears on their face. And I understood that we were all there together to proclaim what was most important in our lives. You see, I need to do that. I need to do that every week. 
This isn't bacon you wrap around the most important thing in your life. This is life. This is what works. This is what the Bible tells us to do. I'm probably a little more agitated about it than normal because I'm tired of seeing people blow up their marriages. I'm tired of seeing kids go off in the wrong direction, chasing the wrong things because mom and dad did the same thing. And by the way, don't tell me your kids got weekend travel sports. Your kid's not going to be a pro. Knock it off. (laughs) I've looked through the children's department. There's only one kid has the potential. (laughs) And it happens to be my grandson, but I'm just saying (laughs) Are we Christians or are we not? Are we worshipers or are we not? Do you want to do this Christian thing on your own? Because it's really hard. (laughs) Or do you want to be a worshiper and let God move you and empower you and heal you and give you hope? We don't just do these songs to warm up for the speaker guy. We do this so we can connect with God and allow ourselves to remember who God is in the light of that, who we are. That's why we're here. That's what we need to do. There is power in praise and in worship. So in a moment, we're going to sing a couple of songs. But I hope more than that, we're going to worship. And we're going to be reminded. And by the way, throughout Scripture, worship isn't a heavy, dutiful thing. It is a celebration that we have an all-powerful God who loves us and knows us. And we're not trying to work this thing out on our own. And we don't have to create our own meaning. We just have to love and be loved. And everything else will fall into place. That's why we worship. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that you allow us to come into your presence and worship you. Sometimes we come here and kind of glibly go through the motions. Sometimes we're preoccupied with the side dishes. But Lord, you have taught us in your word and you taught us by example that coming to worship you, to focus on you, to acknowledge you, to glorify you and to enjoy that process is the most powerful thing we can do. And that everything else will get taken care of if we make sure that one's right. I remember Israel and their cycles of apostasy where they would forget to worship you or they would worship something else and their nation would fall apart. And I have seen so many families And I've seen my own life begin to fall apart when I forget what it's really about. So today we worship you because we love you, because we thank you, because it's all about you. Accept our praise now. Delight in our praise now. And fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.